We've all been witnesses of the scandals. That when churches from the Catholic Church to non-denominational churches and everything in between find themselves in a position where their leader falls into the bondage of sin. And when the leaderships that surrounds these leaders covered up this sin instead of keeping them accountable according to the biblical protocol. I want to submit to you that this causes great damage to God's kingdom because the enemy's his target is on the leaderships, because when the leaders fall, the people become hopeless, disheartened like sheep without a shepherd. And this is what the Messiah called us. He said he looked upon the people, said they are there like sheep without a shepherd. And he told Peter to feed his sheep. And so we are called to ensure that we have leaders and leaderships that are all about feeding the sheep, being a good example, bringing about an accountability structure, but also one that is sound. There are two things that we must address, not only leaders themselves, but the people surrounding those people. Before I go any further, I would like to make clear that I believe that there are many honorable, amazing leaders and leaderships in this world that God has raised for a time like this and are doing God's work honorably. I have to make that very clear before I speak any other words, because I want I respect leaderships and I love leaders. Now, I want to submit to you that we have to look at the biblical example of where leaders should be raised from. You know, when you think about the disciples, we see that these were picked as fishermen, right? That they weren't the typical leaders that you would imagine the Messiah to want to pick. He didn't go to the the university or college and get the, the brightest seminary student, though he could have perhaps done that. He found it profitable to go to these fishermen who had no such higher education. But perhaps it was with purpose. Perhaps he knew that the role of these men would be held to such a high standard and regard that these men needed to be men of humility. And that their background created a canvas, whereas the Messiah could come to mature them into the men he wants them to be to fulfill the, the callings that he has for them to lead the early church. If you think about that humble position they were in, and then let's look at another example. We we can think about Philip, and I love Philip because he's not one of the 12. Philip the evangelist is kind of like just another guy. We actually see him show up in Acts chapter 6, verse 5 the first time. And this is a, a situation that is interesting because the 12 are confronted with the widows not getting being taken care of, and so they appoint these men to to serve tables, to look after the widows, because the 12 at this moment, they don't have the capacity to do everything. Of course, they're leading, they're preaching, they have their responsibilities. And of course, serving the widows is their desire to do, but they can't do it themselves. So they appoint men, including a man called Philip. Philip is introduced to us as a servant. 
not as a leader, as a servant, someone who's literally taking food to widows. Wow, like what an amazing servant role that is. The next thing we know, a few chapters later in Acts chapter 8, verse 6, we see him in Samaria. And we see him casting out devils. And we see him healing the sick. So that Samaria is turned upside down. The apostles who who appointed him as a servant, they hear about this. And Peter goes down with John and they, they, they want to see what happened. And they baptize in the Holy Spirit, the people of Samaria there. And it's a wonderful thing. But it started with a man who was serving widows. How incredible is that? How incredible does the father work? And that's perhaps why he works this way. Could it be that he's looking for men humble enough to get down and dirty in the trenches doing the servant's work, not getting on stages as step number one? See, Philip's wonderful, powerful calling was on the horizon, but it was not there yet. And God prepared him for that by letting him be tested to see is he worthy of serving on the streets? Is he worthy? of going to that to those whom God considers the greatest in the kingdom of in heaven. Those who are least in the earth, the widows, the orphans, the downcast, the poor, greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Yet Philip sees that and he goes right to them. He doesn't just go to popularity. He doesn't just go to the spotlights. He doesn't go to want to exalt himself. No, his eyes are on the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, the widows and the orphans. And of course, then light tradition. This is not in the Bible, but but tradition. He was then later described as settling in trolls in Anatolia, where Philip became the bishop of that church. So he he concluded his ministry career, as far as we know, as a bishop of a church, a a great leader uh, of that area, of course. And so now I want to bring all of this up because The worst thing that we can do to people is to skip the model we see clearly in our Bible. We see clearly the humility that Moses had to go through before he was raised as a leader, that that Christ went through uh, before he even was raised as the leader he was. He was a humble carpenter. We see the humble fisherman. We see humble Philip. These aren't optional paths to leadership like we can't appoint people to leaders who've never served we can't appoint people to stages and spotlights who've never been in trenches i want to submit brown sisters that in fact it, the worst thing that you can do to an upcoming someone who you can see has talent is to put him on a stage to put him on a spotlight before he's gone into trenches I want to say that even when they have this inclination to want a stage, to want to preach, to want to look, that can be a godly inclination. God can put it on their heart, but keep them away from it at first. Let them first mature in all the ways needed and humility first and foremostly. And then when the time is right, when God gives the peace, when God gives the direction, then allow them. I'm grateful that the father did not allow me to have uh, a a place to preach in that manner before I was ready, because we don't want that very thing 
to be something that actually hurts our spiritual growth and journey. We want it to be something that continues to allow us to flourish in that personal journey. I want to submit to you that to be a true servant leader is not about intellectual might, but rather it is about sacrifice and a noble character. It is about one who has died to themselves and who has the character to show for it. I want to read to you quickly some of what Paul writes in Timothy as the qualifiers for an overseer. We see an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, in other words, not a polygamist, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not making trouble, not complaining or grumbling, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. And he says he should be a re- not be a recent convert, and he should be well thought of by outsiders, people who aren't believers. And so ultimately, you could see that these qualifications... This means that this person isn't going to be someone that's going to go from zero to hero. Like this is someone because these things take time to mature. These things take take uh, opportunity to prove. These things means that there's a track record of credibility before someone is appointed to such a role. I want to leave that part with you to consider when you appoint leaders, when you consider leaders, And then now, secondly, I want to talk about the people surrounding those leaders. We need accountability. And and I have spoken about this before. I have heard others also in recent times speak about this more and more. And I think this is a good thing. Uh, We need to hold each other accountable. You know, I just even uh, a week ago met with a fellow teacher and he was a wonderful man honorable. And, you know, I had the pleasure to share with them. Hey, if if there's ever anything that you see me teach, if there's anything you worry, you're worried about, you see me do or say, come to me, tell me I'm an open book. Like I want to know because I want to make sure that I'm I'm doing my best for God's kingdom and his people. And if there's anything I need to correct, I want to make sure that I correct it like that. That openness we have to have. But I want to submit to you that the problem not only is that we should desire accountability. I think there are actually many people who desire accountability, but there is a lack of people to be accountable to. Now, there are people that that are available to be accountable to and even mature people to be accountable to. But depending on where you are and what you know local area you live, this can be a very difficult thing to find. And this is something that I want to call the body as a whole to pray for, because this is what is the enemy's tool in creating isolation between people. And if we are robbed of that accountability, how will we protect one another from the schemes of the devil? Watch each other's back out of love for one another. Now, I want to submit to you that one of the big problems is this is our accountability must be without favoritism or it exists not at all. Because ultimately, true accountability, I want to submit to you, means that I can come and I should be able to and I should 
be worthy and honorable and bold enough to come to you and tell you things you don't want to hear, to tell, to correct where it needs to be corrected if that's needed. I need to be one who can speak hard words to call you even to repent where needed. And I think that there's a lack of people willing to do that. Instead, what we have is we have favoritism. It becomes a thing where we become good friends with someone and that's fine. We should be trustworthy, loving, and we have, should be in friendship with one another. But when it comes at the cost of the things I just mentioned, the boldness to bring correction to whatever extent needed, if we don't do that, we become partakers with them in their sin. And this is what has happened in past times. We have heard this many times of some big leader falling and it comes out that for years and years and years he was he was doing horrible things, right? Whether it was with um, how he treated people or how he who, how he stewarded money or how he how he uh, covered other sins up in his church or like these things are covered up because, well, he's our friend and, and we don't want him to look bad kind of thing. But look at what 1 Timothy 5.22 says. It says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Right. So if we are hasty in the laying on of hands, which means that we appoint people to leadership positions, because that's how it's done by the laying on of hands, then we're irresponsible. And if we don't bring correction when there is sin, we take part in their sins because we have allowed it to flourish under our watch, under our responsibility. And so I want to contrast this, what we read in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifiers for a good leader with what Jude warns us is signs of a bad one. And he says this, one, Jude 1, 16, these are grumblers, complainers. In other words, they are blaming other people all the time. They follow their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, prideful, in other words, boasting in their congregation, their responsibilities, what they can do, and so on, showing favoritism to gain an advantage, covering things up so that there is an advantage personally. See, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, it is for the benefit of the body for sins to be confessed, repented of, and exposed when needed. It is for the benefit of perhaps your own church, your own personal reputation, and the reputation of those around you to cover things up. But see, it's not about your reputation, the reputation of the person or the church. It's about the gospel. It's about taking responsibility. It's about stopping sin from continuing bringing an end to it. Because when you allow it to continue, it contaminates you, it contaminates the fellowship, and it becomes something that it could have been contained to just that person, that whoever that leader is that was the one who did it, it could have been contained to them. But because it was never addressed, it contaminated everything. And then we have situations where the whole church falls apart when this finally comes out, because this certain man has been allowed into places and things which should not have been. And he has become an idol. He has become basically he is now the church 
Instead of recognizing the church as a body of believers all working together with different giftings, everyone bringing their own thing to the table, it shouldn't be about a man. It should always be about a shared responsibility, a shared servanthood, a shared sharing of giftings and sharing of offices that all operate within a fellowship. Whenever a church becomes about one man, that's a massive red flag the moment that happens because it means that that man is being elevated. Now, please understand me. I'm not saying that we don't have pastors who are the shepherds of a congregation. The, uh, we will have our leader of a congregation. We will have our overseer of a congregation. That is very important. But we don't idolize. We don't exalt. We allow everyone room to minister so that there isn't one person who has to do everything for their own sake and also for the sake of everyone else so that their gifts may be they may grow in those gifts and ultimately so that that in and of itself will then foster a structure in a fellowship that is one where accountability is more part of the church culture in other words you are used to keeping each other accountable not just even the the pastor because that's not that's not the only person that needs to be kept accountable like everyone needs to be kept accountable everyone and so if there is a culture of accountability then we have a culture of open loving correction when needed and we have a culture that stops any sin from creeping in and contaminating everyone else and so we don't defend evil we don't cover up evil and we don't we make sure that our relationships with people doesn't become a good old boys club or a clique or something of that nature where we start protecting one another instead of actually addressing that sin. So what's my reason for really speaking about all of this? Well, it's not as much for me to give you instruction as it is to request of your prayers. I want to call the body to pray for the rising up of leaders that will take accountability for their own words and submit themselves to the accountability of others. Uh, leaders who would also look to institute structures of accountability and people who can be in those structures of accountability, people who are worthy of the call to be a leader and mature in the body because we need this. The body needs this. Brothers and sisters, there are many mighty good leaders that God has given us and infilled by His Spirit. There are also a lack in the general sense of the word. And so I believe that this is something that the Father wants to fix. He wants to re-empower people with leaderships that can help them grow. But we have to pray, just as Yeshua said, pray that the Lord send laborers that is what we're praying for today. We're praying, Lord, send laborers, people who are discerning, people who can lead and feed the flock. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would come. If your Holy Spirit, give us the ability, Lord, to discern the way you discern. Give us the ability to have mercy and patience and grace of one another, but also, Father, to keep one another accountable with loving correction. Now, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would come and send servants, servant leaders, people who have been in the trenches, people who have served the widows like Philip did, people who are worthy of being a bishop or an apostle or a shepherd. Father, I ask that that you would just bring forth a new generation 
that would not tolerate the covering up of sin, that would not tolerate your name being compromised when people associate your name, your glorious, your beautiful, your pure name with the sins of men. Father, I ask that that be so far from us. Let we not do that. And let us, Father, enter a new time where your people can be inspired by leaders so that they can enter the fullness of their callings and their gifts. Pearl, in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Thank you for joining me in this teaching. Please share this video if this has been a blessing to you so that we can all pray for this. And I want to say a special thank you to our partners who've made this teaching and every other teaching this month possible. Subscribe and we'll see you in the next one. Shalom.